What the fuck is up, world? Bialy, Atlantic back. We back in this bitch. Another podcast for that ass. Another grito. Sea dicho. Coming about three weeks now since my last episode. Okay? And uh, you already know the deal. I'm trying to fucking put these bitches out consistently enough, right? And um, yeah, suffice to say, I'm just happy to be able to be here right now recording this motherfucker still, right? It means that everything for the most part is going good in the world in general, homie. I'm a little bit concerned about the supply chain issues, not gonna lie. Um, But we'll get through it one way or another. If our ancestors could survive 500 years of Holocaust, we could survive the collapse of the Western world is all I'm saying, right? Which, you know, something it's something that people like myself have always been looking forward to in a way. Just the collapse of this Western fucking brutal fucking archaic society, bro, right? And the hope is that out of the ashes, out of the embers will emerge a better, you know, newer world based off indigenous knowledges instead of, you know, the Christian European one that is rooted in fucking, you know, slavery, basically. Dog, we're just new age slaves, like Kanye tells us, you know what I mean? So uh, just watching, just keeping an ever watchful eye on that shit and seeing, you know, the supply chain issues, the economy, just fucking the political infrastructure collapsing, you know, this is coming on the heels of the FBI fucking raiding Trump's home. You know what I'm saying? Like shit's getting wild up in these streets, bro. You know what I mean? So just keeping a mindful eye of that. So the fact that I'm still able to be here podcasting lets us know the fact that you're able to be listening to this motherfucker lets us know that not yet, at least this bitch is still, you know, we're still chugging along with this motherfucker (laughs) for how much longer is the question. Hopefully, you know, We'll see. We'll see how it goes. You know what I mean? I'm not trying to sound alarmist. I'm not trying to be a doomsayer. I'm just saying, like, these motherfuckers have been proclaiming the end of the world since the fucking dawn of time, yo. You know what I mean? So maybe it'll happen in our lifetime. Maybe it won't. Who knows? Okay? Anyways, just a long-winded introduction to say, what's good, homie? I missed you all, motherfuckers. I miss podcasting. I love podcasting. I fucking... (sighs) I look forward to this shit. You know what I mean? I wish I could snap out of my funk and be able to fucking bring these bitches to you more consistently but you know it is what it is it's still trying to work through the fucking fallout of you know just keep fucking repeating it dog you know what it is you know what i mean so um yeah I, in fact this episode is going to be something akin to that anyway so i guess we'll, we'll get into it when we get into it but um for now before i continue i do want to give a quick shout out to my boy millhouse okay my fucking ride or die my road dog my fucking jujitsu compatriot right um from day one him so my jujitsu homies in general, dog, were the only ones that supported me from day one. Like now, like it's, I've gotten a little bit more of a reach, you know, and I appreciate the fuck out of every single person listening to this who isn't a jujitsu homie, you know what I mean? But uh, there's no question about it that my fucking jujitsu peeps are the ones that were holding me down fucking from the very get go, right? So uh, in this particular case, I do have to give the shout out to my boy Milhouse because, uh, you know, he deserves it, I feel like, you know what I mean? He fucking mentions the podcast, he tells other people about the podcast, he discusses to me about the podcast in person sometimes, you know what I mean? Like, I appreciate the fuck out of that shit, dog. So shout out to my boy Millhouse. And of course, as always, shout out to every single last one of you motherfuckers listening to this. So we're doing jujitsu shout outs. Shout out to my boy Justin, shout out to my boy Timmy, shout out to our coach Mike, shout out to Aunt Dizzle, Uncle Ant living somewhere the fuck in, I don't know, Asia now? I guess he got moved out to Asia or something? I don't fucking know. Sorry, Ant, if you're listening. I know where you're at. I just can't recall off the top of my head. You know what I mean? You're on my phone. You live in my phone. I can message you when I feel so inclined. You know what I mean? Whether you're physically here in El Paso or not is inconsequential. Um, shout out to Salsa. Shout out to Boots. Shout out to Aldo and uh, Oscar and their new do- uh, Jiu-Jitsu dojo, right? Just 
Nothing but shout outs and nothing but congratulations. Shout out to my boy Ugo, right, at Bushido. Nothing but love and congratulations. Shout out to Tatsuo at fucking Alliance Jiu-Jitsu, right? Danny, happy belated birthday. Shout out to all you motherfuckers, right? I love you motherfuckers. That's my Jiu-Jitsu homies. Any person that's listening to this, just know I got nothing but love for you. And I'm glad to be back in this motherfucker, back in saddle again, ready to fucking drop another episode on that ass, okay? Um, and I know that I've been saying that I've been wanting to drop a follow-up to the Human Capital Podcast, dog. And, I'm, and I promise you it's coming. But as I mentioned before, my attention, it just keeps directing itself where it should be, honestly, instead. And obviously for that is, <laughs> you know, the, the the day it all came down for us as a family. You know what I mean? Um, but I, to be fair, the fucking, uh, the digital, the, the Human Capital Podcast is fucking... It, long overdue dog because again just all the shit that's currently happening right now if you know the playbook you're not surprised right the playbook is there with written all the fucking quote-unquote conspiracy theories we're batting like at least me personally i'm batting like a, a solid 800 dog i've had some misses you know what i mean but for the most part i've been pretty fucking spot on about everything that i said is going to occur post pandemic you know what i mean and this fucking for, uh, forthcoming supply chain shortage is one that's really concerning me especially when it comes to the food right so there's no question that the human capital podcast is long overdue because that's what it's about. The idea of what they're fucking trying to do. What they, the reptilians over at Illuminati headquarters, are trying to do. You know what I mean? They're trying to reduce us even further to the human capital. that they, Or rather, to the fucking chateau that they see us as. You know what I mean? Fucking prison, motherfucking planet, homie. Right? New slaves. Um, but yeah, dog. Uh, right now, the, 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 the podcast that I was going to do today, I actually initially started to do it about cryptids, homie. I wanted to do a podcast on cryptids, Okay. Because uh, I've seen a lot of fucking, I've seen the rise of a lot of interest in cryptids on social media, specifically on skinwalkers, which is interesting to me because like skinwalkers are a very, very sacred indigenous thing. You know what I mean? In fact, a lot of specifically the Navajo, you know what I mean? The Dene, right? To be more appropriate. They don't fucking like speaking about this kind of shit to outsiders to their community because these motherfuckers, y'all motherfuckers, even us, right? I'm not a fucking, I'm not Dene, right? But there's a lot of closed ties, right? Uh, you look into the Tohono Odom peoples right here in Arizona, you know what I mean? And then you see, you know, the, the, the Diné people just a little bit up the ways and you start to make the connections like, okay, maybe culturally, like there's a little bit of fucking, you know what I mean? I'm not, I'm not saying like, I am a novel. That's not what I'm saying. Like, I'm just saying like, it's a fucking, we're, we're, it's many roots, one tree. That's what I'm trying to say, okay? Anyways, the Navajo, the Diné, they're very fucking guarded and rightfully so, they should be. About their stories on the skinwalkers, dog. But regardless, regardless, despite that, they've still managed to, you know, escape. And white people, Europeans, have taken them and they fucking added their twist to it, which is what the Navajo, why they don't, they're so fucking guarded against it. Because they say, we're, n- we're not applying it correctly the way they intend. And that the only way that it could be properly understood is through their fucking epistemology and through their ontology, right? But again, that, that hasn't stopped people from fucking taking it. And, you know, for better or for worse, like... The, the Diné people, like, they're not the only ones that I'm sure have encountered these fucking cryptids out there. So, you know, the interest in it is, is, is not, it, I, I, I don't dismiss it. Okay. And, uh, it's because of this interest that I wanted to do this podcast. I initially started out wanting to do it on fucking cryptids, homie. Right. And, uh, I specifically wanted to do it on cryptids through a Nahuatl lens, right? Because the Nahuatl, they have their own fucking tradition of, you know, fucking cryptids and all that kind of shit. You know what I mean? That I felt needs to be fucking monsters, you know, all, all kinds of cool shit, man. It, it doesn't get a lot of attention. And I felt like, why not? Like, there's some cool shit going on over there, dog. We need to fucking we need to shed some light on that shit. You know what I mean? Um, but as I sat down to actually like fucking, uh, okay, so let me give you a little bit of backdrop. Let me give you a little bit of backdrop. What happened is that I was fucking, um, I was driving, I was driving to work one day, okay? And just randomly, like out of the fucking corner of my eye, I happened to catch like, catch a glimpse of movement okay 
which is weird for me because like i'm fucking blind bro like you could probably see it right now like as i'm podcasting like you'll see me sometimes occasionally squint if you're watching on youtube and shit you know what i mean or if you're listening to audio only you can hear like when i pause for like a little bit of a time because i'm trying to fucking make out the words uh that i have there you know my, my tags if you will so like this is what i'm gonna talk about then this then this that i have up here on, the, on my screen you know what i mean but um the point is like i i don't, I don't see very well okay if i and I refuse to wear like glasses or contacts because in my primitive fucking chimp brain, uh, they're a sign of weakness and that other people see it. Okay. And they think that I'm weak because other guys specifically, right. That they'll see me wearing glasses and they'll think that I'm weak because I have like a weakness and you know, they want to fuck with me. And I'm like, no, fuck you, dog. Now, I'm not going to give anybody any tells out there as to, you know, what my potential strengths and weaknesses are. So one of the driving reasons why I honestly don't wear my glasses, you know what I'm saying? So uh, to be able to see this fucking movement, especially driving, no less, was like, it was pretty weird to me. I was like, holy shit, like, what the fuck was that? Okay. And uh, so, you know, I fucking circled back. I pulled a fucking bitch and I came back around and I circled back and, you know, lo and behold, it was a fucking, it was a trio of owls, bro. Like just owls. Okay. It was like seven in the morning, dog. <laughs> it was early as fuck. Right. And there they were just fucking chilling, right. Doing their little owl thing. And I was like blown away because at first I thought to myself, what the fuck? I thought owls were nocturnal. Like, why the fuck? Like, it was seven in the morning, but the sun was already coming out, right? And I started tripping at first. I was like, why the fuck are these owls out here? Like, shouldn't they be asleep or something? Or more importantly, shouldn't they be up in a fucking tree? Like, they were literally on the ground, bro. So then I, uh, I started to do some fucking research. And it turns out that in El Paso, we have a variety of, of owls. But some of the more prominent ones are called fucking burrowing owls, right? And like their name suggests, they fucking burrow underground. <laughs> you know what i mean so uh and on top of that they're uh they're diurnal they fucking hunt day and night it's not really specific their most active hunting hours are in the morning and in the evening you know what i mean like the early the dawn and the evening but they don't really they don't fucking do that whole nocturnal shit like other owls do right they have their own unique shit and uh yeah dog so i already was already fucking thinking about this idea of cryptids in my mind like oh shit i want to do a not podcast on cryptids you know what i mean and then i see these fucking owls dog just randomly and honestly, it was it was pretty fucking impactful. It was pretty fucking impactful for me to see these owls for a variety of reasons. Okay, um, perhaps the most like the most obvious one is because like I was on my way to work. Okay, so and obviously I'm a philosophy professor, right? And owls in the Western world are associated with wisdom and by proxy fucking philosophy, right? My cat, give me a second while she adjusts herself. Actually, no, nah, it's too hot, man. Get off me, right? Sorry, homie. Um. So yeah, obviously owls are associated with fucking wisdom and by proxy philosophy, right? So it was, I thought it was pretty cool. I was like, oh shit, like I'm on my way. I'm a philosopher. I'm on my way to do philosophy, right? To teach philosophy. And here I see the fucking physical embodiments, key terms, right? Of philosophy, some fucking wise owls and shit. I thought that was pretty dope on one end, right? But on some deeper shit, like I had, I had already known that um, owls and Nahuatl culture are actually uh, messengers of death, okay? <laughs> And uh, I'm going to like fucking spend the rest of this podcast like fucking explaining what that means, but also like trying to situate it in Nahuatl terms so that we don't understand it from a Western Christian lens. Because when we say messengers of death, it's usually understood as like it's a bad omen, right? But that doesn't fit with Nahuatl. It doesn't, that, the idea of bad doesn't fit with fucking Nahuatl cosmology, with Nahuatl philosophy, right? So when I say messenger of death in Nahuatl, it's like literally a fucking messenger coming from the Miklan to speak to you, which to me... Obviously, given everything that's fucking going on in my life right now, was my brother, dog. It was my brother, right? They are, you know, you could see them in a negative in a negative way, 
from a Western Christian lens, but realistically, what they are in Nahuatl culture is they're divinities of death. Dog. They are divinities. They are they are messengers rather of the divinities of death. Miklantequitli and Miktekasihuat. All right, and it's not just owls, bro. It's like hummingbirds too. Owls and hummingbirds, which was really weird, dog, because like I don't know when uh. Be- I don't know if it was before or, sh- or shortly thereafter, but sometime around the time when I fucking found these owls, uh, my sister-in-law shared a video with me of my brother, like, holding uh, a little hummingbird that he had found inside his house, right? And this is already, it was, he was already towards the end of his life, dog. You could tell, like, the way his hands, they were really frail. My brother was, like, a really big dude. He used to get confused for being fucking Samoan all the time, dog. Um, but uh, in this video, like, his hands were really fucking, like, frail. They were real small, Right. And you can hear like his voice. He was struggling to speak already, right? It was like towards the end of his life. And um, well, what tripped me out about the video is not just like the hummingbird. Like he found a fucking hummingbird in his house, but how gentle he was. Like my brother was a gentle giant, dog. You know what I mean? And like he spoke to the hummingbird in such a way that was like as if the hummingbird could speak back to him. You know what I mean? And uh, all he was saying is something along the lines of, hey, little guy, don't worry. You're going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. Go ahead and go outside. Find a home type shit. You know what I mean? And, uh, yeah, dog, like that really fucking, like, it really imprinted itself on me. This idea of not just seeing the owls, dog, but of my brother and the fucking hummingbird. Because again, the hummingbird, like an owl, is the fucking messengers of the divinities of death, right? In Nahuatl culture. Now, they serve different functions. There's no doubt about it. But at the end of the day, like, they're, they're still messengers of death, right? And, uh, yeah, dog, like, this is, this, this is where the whole cryptic shit comes into play because, like, well, the, I'm going to talk about the owls today, right? And I'll like sporadically mention the hummingbirds, but the owls specifically, they were seen as, you know, a, a variety of things. And one of the things was an actual physical embodiment of a quote unquote witch, if you will, like in Nahuatl culture, the equivalent of a witch in Nahuatl culture that had come to people and was like trying to fucking, uh, you know, uh, uh, strike Ill, Ill fortune upon them, which is, you know, the basic idea, the basic, again, being very essentialist here, but it's the basic idea behind the skinwalkers, right? That it's like a fucking... A, a quote-unquote evil entity, whether it be a person or a spirit, right? It's, it's possessing, if you will, or animating, more importantly, the body of a fucking animal in order to, you know, extract its fucking, you know, to do its bidding. And uh, that, 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 that's where the fucking idea of the owl uh, is going to come from in this particular crazy. Uh, in this particular crazy. <laughs> I'm sorry, that was a Freudian slip. In this particular episode. I say crazy because I'm quite aware that, you know, for the non-initiated, this might sound crazy. This idea that not only do fucking spirits embody fucking, uh, you know, other beings like an owl, but more importantly, perhaps more importantly, it's that the idea that we can speak to these fucking animals, the idea that we can speak to an owl, for instance, which is 100% in line with Nahuatl fucking thought, bro, Right. And uh, this, honestly, this is one of the things that bums me out about uh, the lack of knowledge that we have of our ancestral traditions because, you know, like, I don't know, man. Me personally, I've always, like, felt things like an animal or a fucking tree and shit. You know, like, they're, they're, they're vivified. They're animated. They're alive. You know what I mean? And that you can speak to them and that they could speak to you if you only learn the language to listen. But in the Western world, this is obviously dismissed as fucking crazy, schizophrenic type shit. Like, we're just hearing voices, dog. But it's like, are we, dog? Or is there more going on to life than what we are told by this reductive, Western, empirical fucking world that we're currently living in? You know what I mean? And uh, if we don't have access to our ancestral traditions that tell us otherwise, you go your entire life missing all the messages, all the messages, rather, from all the messengers as they appear to you, okay? And uh, that's... 
that's devastating to me, dog, because had I not known about the owls and the fucking hummingbirds, I would have never had the message from my brother. You know what I mean? Like that shit. I look forward now every day on my drive to seeing these fucking owls because in a way it's like I'm fucking visiting my brother or my brother's visiting me. I have a video, bro. Like maybe I'll post it to his podcast, but I took a video of these motherfuckers and they're fucking staring me dead in the, in, in the eye with their little fucking yellow eyes and shit. This shit is crazy, bro. Anyways, um, so yeah, that, that's what this podcast is going to be about, dog. The idea that fucking not only do, you know, the messengers appear to us, but they communicate with us, homie, and that we, in turn, can learn to communicate with them as well, right? Um, so specifically, this, uh, this particular episode is based off this article that was written. I don't have the dude's name on my hand. You can look it up. Just put owls, you know, not what thought, and then communication, Right. And that's actually how I found it myself. I wasn't even aware of this article. Like, I just fucking Googled it because I was trying to refresh my mind. And, like, I'm aware that the majority of the shit that comes up is not going to be fucking, like, anywhere near accurate. But it was just, I, I do it anyways, just like, so you know, refresh my own memory and then fill in the holes with what I already know. And I just happened to stumble upon this article and I was like, oh, okay, this is pretty cool, right? And uh, the article was on the instances of dialogues, so actual communication between owls and humans that were recorded in the Nahuatl language, right? from, you know, the post-contact sources in the 16th century. So after the fucking Europeans came and they started doing all their bullshit, right? One of the things that they did is they spoke to the fucking Nahuatl and they started transcribing all their stories through a Christian lens, of course, through a European Christian lens, more importantly, right? Which is important for this particular podcast in general, but also in period when reading Nahuatl thought, right? Got to remember, like, it's Europeans and for, for the most part that are writing this shit. And because of that, they're going to filter it through their European lens and shit, Right? Um, but yeah, so one of, one of the things they did is when they came here and they started fucking, you know, doing their bullshit, setting up their colonial project, they would, would they would transcribe stories of the surviving fucking Nawa that were left. Another thing to remember is that a lot of the ones that were left, they were not scholars. They were fucking just regular people like you and me. You know what I mean? So they were recounting a lot of the, a lot, some scholars remained, don't get me twisted, but the majority of the people that remained were just like everyday people who actually lived the philosophy as opposed to like fucking, you know, wrote the philosophy type shit, right? But, um, yeah, dog. So the point that I'm trying to make here is that the Nahuatl thought they believed completely that you could communicate and have dialogue with fucking animals like an owl, homie, right? Uh, it's funny because the way that they do so is off the way that owls speak. And I'll talk about it here shortly. But the basic idea is that a lot of the way that the, they made onomatopoeias essentially out of the owl's language, right? So what we would call screeches or hoots in the Western empirical scientific world the Nahuatl called their language. Like that, when a dog barks, that's its language. When an owl hoots, that's its language. You know what I mean? When it screeches, that's its language. And, uh, if you could just learn the words that you could speak to the fucking, uh, the, the owls in this instance, right? And it, this is the, where the onomatopoeia comes in because the, 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 the hoots and the screeches of the owl sounded similar to fucking actual Nahuatl words. And that's how they became to the fucking uh, understand. Like if you just learn to listen to the owl, you in turn can speak back to it as well, right? So, um, yeah, dog. So it was because of this that somewhere along this process and learning to communicate with the owls, they started to become associated with death, right? And again, I got to continue to emphasize that we got to take death very fucking loosely here, right? And thus the appearance of the owls or, uh, the owls is an omen of death, right? We got to take a very, like, be very loose with your definitions, what I'm saying as you're listening to this, right? Uh, they called them, by the way, the owls, the, the omens, uh, Tetzahuit. Right. That's what they were called. The, 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 right. Uh, of impending doom per se, as so much as it, you know, 
it's not again it's not necessarily if that's a hoit of impending death so much as it is like a message if you will from the dead or even as we're going to kind of find towards the end of the podcast like a collector like it's come to collect right but we'll build to that uh the point that i'm trying to say is that uh the goal in nawata dog was to learn to speak the language of the fucking owl right so that it could be understood and the messages could be shared like communally like this is what the owl's trying to say and this is what we got to fucking do in order to you know try to you know, uh, uh, shape the will in our favor, you know, try to harness the and th- sh- shift it in our favor type shit. You know what I mean? Now, again, this sounds crazy as fuck, dog, to European Christian thought, but this type of practice, again, it fits perfectly, dog, perfectly into the animistic and monistic understanding of reality that the Nahuatl possessed, right? Like everything is alive, dog. Everything is vivified, much more importantly, by the same exact source. So there is no distinction between me and a fucking owl because distinction implies duality and there is no dualism in a monist philosophy there's only one right so there is no difference between me and you between me and owl etc right and because there's no difference we're on the same level like we're the same fucking thing the idea that you know humans are superior to an owl that's european christian thinking dog right so um the nahuatl they developed this whole idea of these fucking owls right and there's two kinds and i'll get into them here shortly it's a tecolot and uh, Chica, 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 Chicuatli, sorry, I'm fucking language all fucked up right now. Um, but yeah, dog, there's like two distinct out, right? And by the way, like this distinction, it occurred to them long before fucking, you know, obviously Western Christian scientists and shit came over here to, you know, Turtle Island. And despite that, the Nahuatl fucking figured it out perfectly in line with what Europeans came along 15, 1500 years later and said, oh yeah, this is one species of owl and this is another species of owl, right? Further credence to the fact that our ancestors were like amazing scientists, bro. Anyways, um, yeah, so they fucking they, they learned the language essentially of these two owls, right? The Tecolot and the Chicoatli. Uh, and they 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 took those messages, they took those messages and they learned and they shaped them in, in a way that you know they felt fit their public and private matters, right? They 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 established dialogue with these owls, dog, on matters of things like diseases, pollution, and warfare, to name just but a few, homie. Right. And uh, it wasn't just owls, by the way. It was many animals. It was many animals that the Nahuatl considered to be intrinsically intelligible. Okay. That basically that they believed um, that they that they believe, you know, dialogued essentially with humans on a daily basis. Right. A lot of which, uh, you know, had the, the, the keen ability to reproduce human speech pattern. Right. Like, come on, dog, you all have heard a parrot speak, you know, quit with this, you gotta stop with this colonial bullshit, dog, quit acting brand new. We've all heard parrots speak. We've all heard cats who sound like they're saying ow when they're saying meow, you know what I mean? Science tells us that cats fucking develop their meows in general to mimic the fucking speech pattern of a crying infant so that it would get the human's attention, you know what I mean? Like, just because we have this way of thinking of, of the Nawa as fucking primitive savages because of our european colonial brainwashing doesn't mean that they were like they were fucking scientists dog they were doing science and philosophy you know what i mean it wasn't them just fucking sitting there taking ayahuasca and shit tripping in the woods thinking like oh shit i hear the owls talking to me like no nah, dog these were these were scientists these were fucking <laughs> philosophers you know what i mean um and basically what they're telling us is that all you got to do is learn to recognize again these speech patterns uh you know as with any language and we too would be able to recognize the words that are familiar to the language that we speak, right? And uh, so, for the perhaps the most one of the most common ones, the Nahuatl, it, it's translated in Spanish. I'm going to read it in Spanish. I have some other ones that are written in Nahuatl, and I'll read those in Nahuatl accordingly. But 
This one, it was in Spanish. Like one of the speech patterns that they recognized is that uh, it's a very common saying still to this day. And that's why I'm just going to say it in Spanish. It's that uh, cuando el tecolot canta, el indio muere, which is basically roughly translates to when the owl sings, the Indian dies, right? Um, yeah, and this is, you know, this is something that I've heard my grandmother say. Like I've heard my grandfather say, like, this is an old saying, you know what I mean? And it's fucking weird uh, to see it still alive to this day. So when I read it, like it stuck out to me, I was like, oh yeah, I've heard that before, <laughs> right? Um, anyways, uh, again, when we see this, you know, when we, when we initially, uh, confront this, we see it in a negative, in a negative term, right? Through a Christian lens. But again, that's just simply the correlation between, you know, the death of a person and the likelihood of hearing the owl speak thereafter is what I'm trying to say. Like, and more importantly, the idea that death is a bad thing, which, you know what I mean? Depending on what your beliefs are, you know, maybe it isn't, maybe it's just another part of life, right? Uh, the point that I'm trying to make with this particular fucking association is that, with the saying, I should say, rather, is that uh, correlation doesn't necessarily equal causation type shit, right? And uh, it's important to do so. It's important to do so because I feel, at least, I feel that it, it, it allows us to make a distinction between what what the European Christian understanding is of an omen and what the fucking Nahua understanding of this la- uh, 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 of an omen is, Right? And uh, we do so for a variety of important reasons, okay? In this case, being the role, emphasizing the role that omens played in Nahuatl culture. Like, I'm not interested in sharing the role that omens play in the Western Christian world. There's plenty of other motherfuckers out there doing that. Like I said, I wanted to do one on Nahuatl shit, you know what I mean? So I, I got to continue to make that emphasis in order to be clear that we're talking about it from a Nahuatl perspective. So try to be as loose with the ideas, again, of death, omens, etc., as possible, Right? Anyways, for the Nawa, these omens, uh, they manifested in a variety of different ways, okay? From eclipses and meteors, which is probably the most common one that most people are familiar with, to, you know, ghostly apparitions and fucking atmospheric phenomena. I was watching Men in Black last night. It was just funny hearing, like, you didn't see a UFO. What you saw was the gas lights that were reflecting off the satellite and blah, 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 right? Like, the same deal here, like, atmospheric phenomena what's that one atmospheric phenomena of the lightning that just occurs like spontaneously like in a room and shit and just disappears for the longest time people thought it was ghosts but now scientists tell us like it's lightning you know what i mean um to for the now at least to the most common being animal speech like this is there's different ways these omens manifest themselves dog and now what that right whatever the case uh so privileged was the role of these fucking tetzahuit these omens right these omens rather right that they affected Nawa, everyday Nawa people on a fucking personal level, dog, on a household level, everything from their conduct in war to, you know, which in turn would inevitably affect the society as a whole, like as a whole. It had deep, they, they were very, you know, they were very in tune with the, with the natural patterns of the world and they used them to try to, you know, predict, if you will, the future or more importantly, I should say, more accurately, how to, how to move correctly in order to try to gain the most favorable outcome moving into the future. You know what I mean? And uh, this is where the whole idea of the uh, of the owl, the tecolot, right, uh, being uh, uh, a cryptid comes into play, right? Because in this particular sense, the, the, the idea of these tetzahuit being so prominent in their culture that they came to see these tecolots and the chiquatlis to be nagwals, okay? Now, I, I'm, I'm hugely emphasizing the word here, nagual, right? It's not the way you properly pronounce it. But uh, I'm, I'm doing so so I don't con- confuse you with Nahuatl, right? If you pronounce them basically the same way, Nahuatl, Nahuatl, right? Um, 
But one is like I'm speaking to like an, an entire cultures of people. The other one is very specifically like what you could be considered. Uh, I don't want to say a spirit guide dog because that's a spirit animal rather because that's not accurate. Okay. But it's something akin to the spirit animal in like traditional lore, right? That we're familiar with. Um, the reason why it's not entirely accurate is because a spirit animal implies distinction and division. Whereas the Nagual itself is the actual physical embodiment. Like a fucking shaman does not fucking, you know, uh, does not send a, na- a Nagual, right? To go attack people. The shaman becomes like literally transmorphs into a Nagual and goes and attacks people. Okay. And that's where the idea of the cryptid comes into play here with the Tekalot. They were so common and, you know, the Tetzahuit were held in such high regard for the Nahuatl that they believed that Tekalot and Chiquatlis are fucking Nagual, right? The animal guys. Not guys as in, you know, hey, there's just a bunch of guys out there. Guys as in, like, it's the front of fucking murderous sorcerers, right? Uh, they called these murderous sorcerers, bear with me here, Tlacatecolot. Okay, Tlacatecolot. So you hear the Tecolot pre, uh, a suffix at the end, right? And it's just prefixed by the words Tlaca. So Tlacatecolot, right? The murderous sorcerers, sorcerers that were considered by the Nahuatl to be the Nahuals of the fucking, you know, that manifested themselves as the Tecolot and the Chihuatli, right? Now, uh, the roof, the, the roof, <laughs> the roof is on fire, right? No, no, no. The root. Uh, or rather just the word itself, right? It roughly translates to man owl, right? So again, the idea of a man owl, it's all culturally dependent on context, dog. Because without it, you know what I mean? You don't see an owl as, you know, the cries or the moans of an owl. They're meaningless, dog. Or perhaps more importantly, they're harmless, right? Kind of how they're perceived in our current times. But when you start to associate the Tecolot with the Nagual, the Tlacatecolot, right? You start to realize, like, oh, this is a motherfucker speaking to me. Like, this, this dude's talking to me, dog. And he's, come, he's coming trying to fucking spread ill, Ill favor. <laughs> you know what I mean? And uh, if that's not situated in your particular culture, like, it's not going to have any sort of context for you. You know what I mean? So the idea that I'm trying to say here, and circling back to the whole notion of, you know, one of the, for me personally, the the laments of colonization is that if I would never have known of this, I would have just, I would have, I still would have thought it was cool. Like, oh shit, there's some owls right there. You know what I mean? But I would have never been like connected two and two together. Like, oh no, this is, owl is a fucking manifestation of something that's coming to me from the fucking realm of the defleshed, the mitlan, if you will. Right. And it's coming to communicate with me. Like I got to learn how to talk to this motherfucker. You know what I'm saying? Because that's culturally relevant. It's a cultural concept. Right. Anyways, um, Owls, again, like I mentioned before, along with other powerful creatures, the jaguar, eagles, etc., right? They were considered these tetzahuit, right? The, the embodied omens, the, the communicative agents of the sacred that demand interpretation and ritual reciprocity. This is a very important part here. The interpretation, yes, we've already focused on that. But now we're moving on to the ritual reciprocity. Because it's one thing for the fucking, the, 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 the tetzahuit to come speak to you, dog, but it's another thing to ignore its messages. Like that's where shit gets fucking, that's where shit starts to get a little fucking suspect for the Nawa. Okay. To just ignore the ritual, like nah, dog. To, just to ignore the fucking, uh, the message, like no, 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 you cannot do that. You have to respond in ways that they had, you know, they had the diviners, they had these diviners who had come up with like this, these fucking, these, these man, these manners of speaking with them, these modes of speech and engaging with these, uh, uh, with these creatures, right? That would help as we'll see right now here shortly. 
uh, uh, the people who were visited by these tetzahuit, by these omens, right? So yeah, dog, it's not just about like just fucking interpreting what they say now so much as it is like you have to engage with these motherfuckers. That's the whole point of like of a dialogue. If I'm just sitting here talking to you all, that's why, that's why I'm always saying like I appreciate the fuck out of everybody who reaches out and tells me like, oh, I like this part. I didn't like this part. Good or bad, I don't give a fuck. Like I appreciate the fucking, the, 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 the feedback because it's without the feedback, I'm not dialoguing here. I'm not, I'm not speaking to anybody. I'm speaking to myself. I'm not talking with you. I'm talking at you type shit. You know what I mean? And, uh, that, that, that's kind of the basis here for this, uh, for the ideals of when we are visited by these Tetzahuit and Nawa cultures, right? So again, like the owls that I see on my way to work, dog, they are speaking to me and they demand that I listen, right? They demand that I listen. Because again, the Tetzahuit and Nawa culture, like all omens, dog, they're more than just fucking random owls, dog. They're more than just that, okay? They are living and intelligible signs of a semiotic process that basically it links us to the sacred, homie. It, okay, so when I, say, when I say the sacred, let's fucking be very clear what I'm saying here, dog, because this is important, man. There are no gods in Nawa culture. I said this before, but it fucking bears repeating as many times as fucking necessary, okay? There are no gods. What they consider gods, my cat again. Too hot, bro. Sorry, and you're all hairy, man. Get off me. I love you, dog, but cat, but get off me. <laughs> um, time and place, homie. Time and place, right? Um, she's just so used to like just being on my lap in general when I'm in this fucking room. So I feel bad for her. But right now I'm trying to focus on this, not her. Right. Uh, what the fuck was I saying? Oh yeah. The sacred. There's no gods in Nawa culture, homie. There's just, there's sacred fucking clusters. There's sacred actions that are clustered together. And we say that this cluster is a divinity and you know, like death. I mentioned it before. What are some clusters of death? Uh, the body stops moving. There's no more respiration. There's no more fucking whatever. All the shit associated with death, right? And so, and conversely, with living, right? So those clusters of death they get put together into a sacred divinity, right? Which are you know this is like it's godlike, this quote unquote godlike because of how powerful, powerful death is. You know what I mean? Like we cannot understand it phenomenologically while we are living. It is beyond our comprehension. Okay. So it is godlike in that essence, and this cluster is so fucking powerful that it's the embodiment of a god. Like it's represented as the embodiment of a god. Okay, the god here of death. It's Miktasipwa and Miklantekwitli, right? It's not like the devil. It's not like the devil. It's not like Jesus. It's not like the fucking the god spirit in Abrahamic religion. It's nothing like that, right? So uh, what these fucking messengers are then is like it's messengers of those of those sacreds, right? So when, when we're communicating with this, we are quite literally communicating with these sacred divinities, right? You are, it's the closest in, in a way that we can get to communicating with death, right? So anyways, so astute, dog, was this Nawa understanding of owls and their language. Again, that, I don't know, man. You got you to gotta keep in mind, like, owl, these owls are nocturnal creatures. And the fact that they were able to, like, distinguish the, uh, the differentiation between two of them based off just their fucking hoots and their, and their screeches. Pretty impressive, dog, right? And it's not just, it's the tecolot, again, the, the tecolot and the chiquatli, right? The chiquatli. Um, but again, it's not just these two birds, dog. Like, there's a cacophony of birds, bro, that creates symphonies for us to this day. Like, one of my favorite things in the morning in the spring is waking up and hearing all the fucking birds out there singing, like, just fucking at, at the top of their lungs. And if we were trained well enough, we would be able to listen and be like, Oh, that's this kind of bird. And that's that kind of bird. The same way that when, you know, you've trained long enough, I mean, just by hearing a song in general, you can distinguish between a guitar, a bass, a drums, and a singer, right? 
And if you're really fucking well trained as a musician, you could be like, oh, that's an E chord, that's an E minor, that's an A chord, that's a G chord, etc. When the guitarist is playing, you know what I mean? If you if you're trained well enough, you can pick that kind of shit up, right? And uh, that's basically what's happening here with this Nawa dog. Um, and what they did is they basically took the fucking hoots and the, and the, and the, and the screeches of the owls. And and they associated them, dog. They associated them with, with with the words that are most that, that they most closely resembled, or in some instances, perhaps even outright fucking mimicked, as the case with owls and shit here for us today, right? And they use those words to like fucking correlate particular actions that are likely to occur, right? Um, and that that that's why I like to, and that's why I like to emphasize that this meeting them is it is in and of itself is not a bad omen, okay? So much as it's just a, a, it's just a messenger. Like they're just giving you a message, okay? And uh, your job then in this dialogue, our job then in this dialogue would be to fucking first, you know, in, understand the message. Like first, work to communicate, understand what the message is, and then you know, see the patterns that are fucking associated with the good outcomes as well as the bad outcomes that are associated with it, right? And then try to maneuver ourselves in a way that we that we situate ourselves in a favorable outcome while minimizing the potential of, uh, of befalling a bad outcome, right? So, nah, it's not a bad omen, dog. They're just sitting here and they're trying to tell you like, hey, this is what's going to happen. You need to act accordingly. And then if your job and response is to be like, okay, I appreciate that shit. Let me fucking do X, Y, and Z to try to get, you know, on the right path or you can ignore it and, you know, chance the, the bad shit happening, right? So uh, for me personally, like the best way that I understood this is when I, like... Like everybody on this planet, dog, I have my own OCDs and compulsive behaviors. You know what I mean? And I've developed rituals out of them or I fucking have looked to the world and I've noticed certain fucking events unfold. And when that event unfolds, like I associate it with either a potentially good or a potentially bad outcome, right? And uh, for me, like it's numbers, a lot of numbers, for instance, right? There's certain organizations of numbers that when I fucking see them, I just like, fuck, dude, like nothing but bad shit is going to happen, Right? Or conversely, like good numbers, when I see them, I'm like, oh, cool, like fucking awesome shit's gonna happen. You know what I mean? One of my favorite examples of this is like, before I even get into that, for the longest time, I used to fucking curse these numbers. I would think that it's the fucking numbers' fault. Like for a rate, I would look at a clock and it would be, it would be that time. And I'm like, fuck you. Like I would get so pissed at that time, right? Or I would get a receipt and it would have a number on it. And I'm like, fuck you, dude. Like fuck. I would, I would get upset at the numbers, right? The time one is kind of weird because I just found out that apparently we can program ourselves to fucking look at a clock <laughs> at the same time every single day. So I keep that in mind now. Whenever I have the, the urge to look at a clock, I'm like, don't do it, motherfucker, because you already know what time it is. You know what I mean? Anyways, the point is that for the longest time, I would like curse these fucking numbers. But then I realized like these numbers are not agentive. They're not fucking actively going out of their way to fucking sabotage my life. What these numbers are, are fucking indicators. They're warnings. Like they're trying, they're messengers. They're trying to communicate to me. Like, dude, you're doing this shit and you need to not be doing this shit because bad shit's going to happen. Or in some instances, like shit that you can't even avoid. So for instance, like when my brother was getting close to the end of his life, every time I would look up, like every single time I would look up at the clock, bad numbers, bad numbers, bad numbers. I would get a fucking email, bad numbers, text message, bad numbers. And I was just like, dude, what the fuck? And it was that way for like six months, bro. And I, I knew it. I was just like, fuck, dude, just nothing but bad shit is going to happen. And lo and behold, like this was even after he passed away. Like bad shit had already happened. It was still like boom, 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 boom. Right. Um, and that's kind of what I'm saying here is happening with these owls. Like we as, we as people, like we look, we, we establish patterns. That's, that's how we work. Like that's how we navigate the world. We establish certain patterns and we use them to our fucking schemas. They're called schemas in psychology. Right. And we use them to help us navigate the world. 
And basically what's happening is that these owls became something of a schematic pattern for the Nawa, right? Um, and they were indicators of what could potentially happen, right? But it was more than just like an owl dog. It was more than just an owl appearing. They took into account all kinds of shit, like chronological and spatial elements, right? Of the fucking apparition, of the Tetzakwit's apparition dog. So when did it happen? At what time did it happen? Where were you when it happened? Like what season was it in? All that kind of shit, right? Um, so for instance, like topological locations are the topological location of the Tetzakwit. Uh, there, that is said to allow witnesses to discern the intent of a deity that sent it, right? So again, to that end, it's important to take special note of where the Tetzahuit appeared and made its calls, right? As this would point to the specific target of the animal or important details necessary to decipher its message. So here we're talking about language, dog, and not just language like verbalized speech anymore. We're talking about language like the language of an owl, where it's sitting, where it's pointing, where it's facing, all that kind of shit. That's all language. The kind of clothes that we wear, that's language. You know what I mean? So they're taking all of this into account to try to fucking figure out, like, what is this owl trying to tell me, right? And uh, in turn, in turn, what they did is they developed these fucking patterns of responding to these owls. They said, okay, when an owl appears, this is generally what happens. And in order to sway it in our favor, you have to engage with this motherfucker, dog. Like, for good or bad, like, you have to communicate with this motherfucker, right? And more importantly, you have to do so with bravery and even aggressiveness, dog, right? Uh, these were these were valued as the proper ways to engage with these tetzahuit, right? like, in a brave and aggressive manner, okay? Because fear and despair was thought to only reinforce the portended doom of their message. So an owl comes and speaks to you, dog, and you're like, oh, my God, no, it's an owl, Again, remember the Nawa, they believed in the fucking, you know, the, 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 the steot, which is a sacred energy that can be manipulated, in, you know, for one's favor or can be used against one's own, uh, 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 interests, right? And if you're fucking responding to it in a negative way, like you're subtly influencing that energy to shift to a negative fucking, to a negative aspect, right? So instead of responding with fear, you had to respond with fucking bravery and even aggressiveness in order to try to sway it in your potential benefit, like at the most minuscule level. It's the whole the universe type shit, right? For those fucking hipster new age fucks. This is ancestral Nawa philosophy. Like, you fucking speak it into existence type shit. You know what I mean? Now, again, this seems strange because from a Christian lens, the idea of insulting a god with brashness and fucking, like, you know, just not in, in any way hum or humble, that's considered taboo, right? But in Nawa thought, this was considered to be just fine. And that is because, you know, these Nawa divinities... They distributed for both fortune and misfortune. So, like one of the things that you know, it's very like a very introduction to religion thing when we're discussing Christianity and philosophy. But uh, one of the things that a lot of people have trouble with is the problem of evil. I've talked about it before, right on this podcast. But the basic of the basic idea is if God exists, why does bad shit happen? Right? Because Christians fundamentally believe God to be a perfect being, a pure being, a good being, a benevolent entity. Right? So to come to terms with the idea that a god you know like the christian god for instance could you know purposely give somebody cancer for instance like my brother like a christian god purposely gave my brother cancer at 34 years old right in order to kill him christians have a fucking impossible time understanding that because it does not align with what they believe god to be which is good and pure and all that kind of shit right this wasn't the case for nawa dog this wasn't the case for the nawa they understood full well that divinities distributed both fortune and misfortune. Like if a good thing happens to you, 
the divinities. If a bad thing happens to you, also the divinities. Like Christians, they have, they have no problem saying, that, yes, this great thing happened to me because of God. But if something bad happens to them, very few of them are like, why, God? Why would you do this to me? You know what I mean? Or more importantly, I'm sure they would, but more importantly, like they would blame God. Like, fuck, you know what I mean? Like, fuck you, like that kind of shit. <laughs> that was not the issue with the Nawa. It wasn't an issue, right? Um, so speaking brassly to them was just as welcomed in Nawa thought as speaking thankfully to them when the fate is favorable, right? Uh, in fact, again, doing so, it was considered to have what is known as apotropaic properties, all right? So apotropaic properties, what that means is like the ability to reverse or even completely avert misfortune, which again, this falls in line with the Nawa thought of the ability to influence the flow of Teot with our conscious action, right? our conscientious actions, right? So all of that is just a fancy way of saying that, you know, speaking to these creatures was especially important when they entered into our homes, right? As was the example of the hummingbird with my brother. Like, if they come into your home, dog, that is a very fucking clear indication of location of who the fuck they're talking to. They're talking to you, dog. They're not circling around your neighborhood like, oh, is it me? Is it my neighbor? Like, no, motherfucker, it's you. They're in your house. You know what I mean? So this was, like, especially true when, they're, when, when you found them in your house, when they entered into your home, right? Um... Now, before I continue on to the next part, I have to reemphasize this. And that is that, like I mentioned before, when we're reading through texts that describe our ancestral ways, it's important to do so uh, aware of how these texts and ideas themselves have been filtered through a European Christian way of thinking. Okay. Now, I'm just going to emphasize it and I'm going to continue working through this article, right? And just, I'm going to give it as due proper for the sake of allowing them to flesh out their argument but also to use it as an example of how the Christian European bent works, okay? Like how their filter works through this kind of shit and how you have to understand both sides of the fucking epistemology in order to properly understand, at the closest that we can at least, what the Nahuatl were trying to say. So in this particular case, the article, like the article was written saying this basically, okay? And that is that an owl inside your house was a sign of ill omen. For an owl or any other quote unquote ominous animal to find itself inside your home was always like, was just considered a bad thing, right? But now I don't believe in good and evil. So that's one indicator right there, right? Anyways, um, because of this, it was customary for the dwellers within the house to respond by saying, <laughs> and this is the part where it starts to get, well, at least for me, like when I was writing it, like I, I couldn't help but laugh, right? I didn't know this. So reading this was actually pretty fucking entertaining for me. I'm not trying to prime you if you don't find it entertaining. You don't have to fucking force the, you don't got to fake the funk or force laughter, right? You won't hurt my feelings. I'm not there when you're listening to it. <laughs> but for me, like these motherfuckers would literally like speak out in the most fucking vulgar ways sometimes possible. And we'll get to the vulgarities here shortly. But what was customary was for the dwellers of the house that this fucking creature, this Tetzahuit had visited to respond by saying, what is he saying? What does he want? He must be my enemy, this sorcerer who wants to kill me. Now, this was a cultural norm because, again, the animal was seen as the embodied, and the embodied manifestation or messenger of an angry divinity or adversarial sorcerer, okay? But again, it's like, maybe that's it. Or maybe it's just a way of letting you know, of letting you know that something is going to happen. Like I mentioned with the idea of numbers and all that kind of shit, right? Um, oh, by the way, just, just complete fucking, not tangential, but I just remember the fucking numbers one that really fucked me up, dog was the year 2020. It was weird. Like, for okay, so March 11th, those, those two numbers put together, I fucking, 
they drive me crazy. Like they're they're basically death numbers to me. Like this is bad shit. Bad shit's gonna happen, right? And I just remember that uh, the Mexica New Year started on March 2020, right? And uh, it, why that's important, why that's relevant, is because in Nawa philosophy, 2020, this was fucking written hundreds, thousands, maybe even of years ago. But they knew 2020 was destined, it was predetermined to be a year of destruction, dog, right? So the, the Mexica New Year, it started on March 11th, 2020, dog, which, you know, again, it's a bitch-ass number for me, dog, and I hate to begin with. And uh, in Nawab thought, this date, these numbers, these corresponding numbers, uh, they happen to re- correspond to the year 8 Flint, which is itself associated, the year 8 Flint is itself associated with the North, which is death. It's also associated with death, death, right? Sacrifice and the ancestry, right? So the Northern year Flint, uh, the Northern Flint years then, they are ruled in Nawab thought by Mictec. Right, which is the, the, the masculine, if you will, uh, dynamic of the divinity of death, right? And because of that, they are considered to be years of ill omen and dark destiny, right? Now, at the same time, they are also considered years to be which, uh, they are also considered to be years in which our ancestors bend close and listen, in a very poetic way of saying it, right? In which the power of the moon and the night are extremely strong, Okay. So the point of why I'm saying this is that, you know, perhaps it isn't so much about an omen, so much as it is an understanding of the cycles of life, dog, and how they affect us all. And us, in turn, learning to work with them so that we can go with the flow, if you will. There's this story about how the fucking, the the quote-unquote Aztecs were fucking um, banished from Aztlan and they wandered aimlessly until they found, until they found, you know, Tecnoticlan, they found the Tecnoticlan. But it's not true. That is not true. That's fucking... Bitch-ass Western uh, European uh, uh, propaganda. Our ancestors were expert scientists. They were navigating the processions of the stars, looking to find the fucking the 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 the, the best space for them to fucking uh, settle their, their their forthcoming empire. So the basic idea I'm trying to get to is like you got to remember that the Nawa understood all of reality to be unfolding in fucking three particular patterns, right? Um, and once you start to recognize the actions associated with these patterns. Right. And how things align, like where a bird is and what it's fucking saying at any given moment, something as small as that to something as big as when this star is in the sky and how the corresponding, you know, actions are here on, you know, the last big back. Right. And if you get to know these patterns, you can fucking, you know, not predict so much as just fucking act accordingly, is what I'm trying to say. Right. Anyways, and returning back to the owl dog, again, the Nahuatl word is tekolot, which refers to a very specific kind of owl dog that has. A very specific kind of owl who have a very soft and mournful calls, right? Um, as such, the Nawas, they characterize these calls as quote-unquote crying. Namely, because they sound sim- so similar, dog, so similar to the word for crying in Nawas, which is tekolo, right? And uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it, just, it also happened to closely coincide with the word to make crooked, quote-unquote, which is tekoloa. Which in turn was used to, uh, used to justify the idea that the owl was saying mournfully harm people or harm to people, if you will, essentially, right? Further associating it with the deadly sorcerers named, known as the Tlacatecolots, okay? So, uh, this connection with the idea that the owl was the avian manifestation of this fucking sorcerer who had transformed itself into the bird, uh, to inflict illness, 
death and destruction, you know, that generally came again in the form of pollution, death and dishonor. That's how that fucking rooted itself in the cultural context, right? More to the point, the arrival of a tecolot in the house was considered as a sign that a member of the household would die or get sick or fall into poverty or become slothful and have their slave run away, right? And that as, as a result of that, that the house would in turn go from being a place of honor, of joy and wealth to the house where, you know, uh, a, a derelict house, a weed choked house, while, you know, where its polished floors and walls would soon be covered in salt and feces left by vagrants, right? Or simply, it was said to be the house, or rather the house was said to become an earthly meme, if you will, of Mictlan itself, a place that's covered in feces and pollution. Now, all of that sounds terrifying, but unfortunately, it just does not hold into account the Nahuatl Cosmovision, which is why I keep emphasizing when we're reading this shit, you got to keep in mind that it's being filtered through the lens of European Christians, okay? So for instance, this last passage itself, it speaks of the Miklan as a physical place akin to a Christian understanding of hell. But that's that's just not what the Miklan is in Nahuatl, dog, right? It also speaks of shit like feces, literal shit, right? As, as it's, if it's a bad thing. I'm not saying it. There is a, I've already talked about this, dog. Everything is considered fucking sacred and not what that because everything is made of the same thing. It's just the same thing manifesting itself in different functions, different forms. So even feces itself and not what that is made of the sacred energy. And because of that, it was fucking just as sacred, right? As everything else. The idea for Christians, they have such an impossible time of understanding sacred filth, right? But the Nawa, they considered everything sacred. And they even have a fucking Tlazoteo, uh, dog. She's the filth goddess, right? The purification process that we get filtered through. Christians have an impossible time of, of thinking of, of something that is sacred and profane as filthy. But that's not an issue for the Nawa, right? And then going back to this fucking idea of Miklan, it's not, it's, you can't make the parallel. It's not the same thing uh, to a Christian hell, right? Because it's not an actual fucking... It's a process. Dog. The Miklan is a process. Okay. Now, as I mentioned, as you know, <laughs> I cannot continue to overemphasize the importance of understanding that the Nahuatl did not believe in gods or deities like Christians and Europeans did, right? Miklantequitli and Miktekasitwat, they're not gods and goddesses, dog. They are sacred divinities. So at its most fundamental level, what Miklantequitli is, is the concept. That everything in the universe, everything, dog, everything in the universe has the capacity to kill or take life. And that there is nothing that can escape this principle. Okay, that's what Miklantek Wheatley is. That's what that is, right? That idea that at any given moment, we are constantly exercising this basic principle. That's what they mean by it's a process. Like it's constantly unfolding. It's constantly unfolding Miklantek Wheatley. It's not a God living up in a fucking heaven or down below in some fucking... uh hell-like existence, that's fucking nonsense to them, right? It's an action. It's a process that is constantly being undertaken by everything as fucking seemingly inconsequential as fucking breathing, okay? The act of breathing alone is Miklantek Wheatley because we are quite literally killing bacteria with every breath, if you will, right? We are killing, metaphorically, oxygen and converting it into CO2. That's what they mean by death, the years of death, the years of destruction. It's not death like the way Christians see it in a negative way, like, oh, at the end of my life, like, no, dude, it's Death as in the fucking transfiguration from one, from, from one dynamic to another, right? 
from converting C, uh, 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 oxygen into carbon uh, into CO2, etc. Right? Because there is no death in Nahuatl, homie. Just the transference of energy from one dynamic to another. Now, on the flip side, the feminine, if you will, dynamic of, of the divinity of death is Mictecasitwat, which tells us the sacred principle is that everything that has been killed, quote unquote, always leaves a trace behind. It's the fingerprint of everything that has existed. Okay. So like my brother's physical body, like, yeah, dog, that's just dead and gone. Like it's fucking buried underground. Okay. But his memory will live on forever. There is no death in Mahuatl. My brother's body, physically gone. His memory will live on for as long as we do. Okay. And the sacred energy, more important, that manifested itself as him has now been dispersed and will regenerate, has been dispersed back into fucking, into existence, right? And it's going to regenerate once more somewhere on this planet, somewhere on this planet, right? Or in the universe, who knows? In another form. It could be a tree. It could be a river. It could be a star. It could be a whole fucking planet. Like, who knows? The sacred energy is going to go and, and fucking uh, cluster itself up in a different manifestation, right? No longer my brother. So yeah, dog, like, this Miktekasihual, she's not a goddess, yo. It's the representation of everything that is and everything that should be remembered. I'm holding my thumb up for those of you who are listening to audio only because, like I said, she is the fingerprint of everything that has ever existed, right? And it is the capacity that the entire universe has to leave the fingerprint of what once was. Just like everything in the universe has the capacity to kill or to kill or to itself be killed, everything in the universe also leaves a fingerprint on I mean, it's like, yeah, you say shit, we say shit like, dog, our ancestors were scientists. It's fucking 2022 in the Western Christian world. And we're now being told a couple of years ago, to be fair, right? Maybe 50 years tops. But um, that the, the, the reason scientists know how old the universe is is because of the fingerprint that the Big Bang has left behind. Like, we see how far light can travel. And because of that, we have reason to believe that it is this far. And that is how long we believe the universe to be into existence. That is the principle of the idea that everything that has ever existed leaves a fingerprint behind, right? So the basic idea then behind these divinities is that where Mictlantequitli ends life, Mictecasihuat preserves its memory, right? And we're told that this is a fundamental part of human existence and it influences the way that we engage with reality, right? So... As for the Miklan itself, dog, like the actual physical Miklan that we're told, it's not a fucking place, okay? Like an underworld. It's not that, dog. What it is, more appropriately, it's a place of relaxation. It's one that we visit every single day when we go to sleep, okay? Specifically when our consciousness, if you will, our tonalis, I've spoken about the tonalis before, when they leave our bodies, when our tonali, specifically the one right here on our belly button, no. The one on our head. One of, I'm not. I'm not exactly sure. So let me go back and recheck, and I'll, I'll, I'll hit you back in a previous episode, in our next episode. I have spoken about it in a previous episode. So you can peep it there if you're interested, right? I think it's the Azotleneli in Tlalpicpac episode. But the basic idea is our tonali leaves our physical body, and it travels through the Miklan. That's a place of rest, okay? A place of relaxation, right? We go there every single day, and we're told that the only distinction is is that one day we will not return. That's it, okay? So basically, in Nahuatl, the Tecolot is a loved one, if you will, from fucking Miklan communicating with us here on Plastic Park as, you know, for the same for the instance of the hummingbirds. In my particular case, like, I don't see these fucking burrowing owls and think, oh my God, like, it's a fucking omen of death, even though that shit could potentially be happening right now in my personal life. Like, that's not what I see. I see like, oh shit, that's my ancestor, dog, my brother. He's coming down. The earth is fucking 
the the earth is aligned in such a way right now with all of the, with the, with the, with the with all of reality that our ancestors can bend here and speak to us. And my brother is one of them speaking, bending here and speaking to us through the manifestation of this fucking bird, through his hummingbird, all kinds of shit. You know what I mean? Anyways, um, it's worth noting that this was unquestionably more of a cultural event associated with the Nahuatl, or, or rather, uh, the idea that, um, I'm getting ahead of myself here, I apologize. The idea that uh, owls were seen as an omen of death realistically from a cultural perspective what is more likely that happened is that uh owls were seen as a uh, fucking uh they were associated with wealthy people okay specifically those who upset the uh, tlatoani which is the king essentially right specifically moctezuma because he was known to obliterate houses that, that did not gain his favor right so that's that's another more reason of where that idea of the omen the ill omen would pot- potentially come from right but to associate that with the Tecolot in general and the entirety of the Nahuatl understanding of life in on Tlaltic Pac and the Mitlan, that's just completely misguided, though. Completely misguided. Anyways, moving on from the Tecolot, the second type of owl that the Nahuatl spoke with was what is known as the Chicuatli, as I've already mentioned, okay? Also known as the Chichli, okay? Um, and perhaps the most salient feature that separates this owl from its relative, the Tecolot, is its audible language, okay? <laughs> And if when you look into these fucking owls, dog, these fucking, uh, uh, these, these, these chiquatlis, they're basically, these motherfuckers are basically on demon time, like, all the time. These are like barn owls, dog, okay? And uh, the reason why I say that they're on demon time is because unlike the soft hoots of a tecolot, right, the chiquatli produces harsh, horrendous screeches that are usually accompanied by terrifying raspings, uh, scrapings, coat the raven, nevermore type shit, right, that are produced by its practice of scratching whatever surface it's perched upon, right? So um, the name itself, Chiquatli, it's, it, 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 it's loosely correlated to the Nahuatl word of screamed or came out screaming, right? And uh, when you combine with the scratching that's produced by a speech, right? Uh, you know, that, 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 that's where its association came from, right? It was so powerful, this association with death, that the Nahuatl, they fucking carved a wooden whistle out of it and into the shape of this barn owl, and they would fucking blow it at a sacred ceremony, right? Which is common for the Nahuatl. They had a variety of whistles, right? The most famous of which being the fucking death whistle that they would blow prior to combat that was in the shape of uh, me, this guy right here. Give me a second. I'm pulling back this little guy right here, right? The whistles usually took this shape right here, Miklantik Wheatley, uh, and they would like blow into it and it would like mimic horrendous screams. Like that's the most famous one, right? But they also had this one for the Chiquatli. And uh, this one, this one was blown at midnight during what is known as the Shalakwia turn- uh, ceremony, right? And uh, what would happen at this ceremony is uh, they would first they would bathe slaves, okay? And uh, then they would consecrate them for ritual immolation, <laughs> right? So just more uh, fucking pretense as to how they became associated with death, right? So basically what happens is that at the Shalakwia ceremonies, right, these slaves, they were fed their last meal and uh, a priest, quote unquote, would come in blowing the fucking whistle, this, this, this whistle molded after the fucking, the one who comes in screaming, right? <laughs> and uh, they would proceed to cut off the sacrificial head, uh, the sacrificial candidates, they would cut off their hair at the top of their head, whereas one of our, where, that's where, where, that is where one of our tonalis resides, right? And uh, they would do so, they would do so in preparation for its quote-unquote escape from the body, right? Uh, and then after doing this, they would take it, they would take this fucking candidate for sacrifice uh, by the priest. They would take it into this vessel, it's like an eagle vessel, right? 
where they would be prepared, where they'd be taken for the uh, from the preachers or the priests rather, <laughs> in preparation for the ritual sacrifice, where you know their hearts would be sacrificed and offered to Huitzilopochtli the next day, right? So, I mean, in this particular case, it's very clear the sense in which this owl signaled impending death. Furthermore, this is also how, at least in the case of the Chiquatli, how it became associated with the messenger for the divinities of the Mikland, right? That a Tonali was ready to be delivered to it, right? That the owl itself was seen as the actual fucking thing that was going to take the Tonali to the divinities of death. Now, much the same with the Tekolot, however, the Nahuatl had a repertoire of ritual insults to try and ward off the Chiquatli should it present itself, okay? Now, what's interesting is that these differed from male to female. So, like, if uh, uh, an owl presented itself to me, I would say one thing. If it presented itself to my girlfriend, she would say another thing and not want that, right? Um, <laughs> but whatever the case is, like, apparently, apparently, I don't know, like, there's competing fucking thoughts about this. On one hand, people say that, you know, misogyny and homophobia are European Christian fucking imports to Turtle Island. On the other hand, people say that, you know, the, the, uh, the indigenous peoples here on Turtle Island, many of them, like the Nahuatl, were themselves extremely homophobic. I don't know what the fucking case is. I, you know, like, I just put my hands up and say that's one of the things that I don't know, right? But whatever the case is, one of the insults that was recorded, and it's like on record, um, is for the females, they would call the, the, the screeching owls, they would call them Quilonpul, Quilonpul, which roughly translates in English to quote unquote, big faggots, right? <laughs> which corresponded apparently to the sentiment of the time that the Nahuatl had for men who were, who submitted to anal penetration. They thought very dismissively of it, right? So I just, I can't help but laugh, dog, because like this woke shit is hilarious when we're trying to redeem the Nahuatl, right? Because beyond the ritual sacrifice and the warmongering, like there's instances like this that makes you realize like, oh shit, a lot of the people in this woke culture, I don't know. I don't know how y'all would have fared in this, in this Nahuatl culture. You know what I mean? Whatever. Like I said, I, I do raise my doubts because again, there, there's conflicting accounts about the Nahuatl view, uh, to, uh, views towards gays, right? Whatever the case. This particular insult, it clearly feeds uh, off the idea of, uh, of a homophobic culture, right? <laughs> As the word quiloni was said to be used to feminize and demoralize adversary, right? Like, so it's not like it was uncommon, okay? Is what I'm trying to say. As for the males, their insult is it came in the way of taunting it by saying, right? Which roughly translates to, go away, my concubine, you of huge sunken eyes, the barn owl with the huge sunken eyes, right? You slept with your mother, which quite literally means motherfucker, right? <laughs> it's just funny that like, we think people change, but motherfuckers don't change. These motherfuckers were basically roasting this bird <laughs> the same way that we do today by making the fun of the way it looks and of its mama. You know what I mean? Like they're saying, you fucking weird looking motherfucker, go fuck your mom type shit. You know what I mean? Like, uh, just, Tangential silly thoughts. Anyways, as previously mentioned, these aggressive insults were meant to help neutralize the ominous verdicts of the Tecolot and the Chiquatli, right? This seems, again, silly, but when we're being attacked by a bear in modern times, for instance, right? We have the whole idea if it's brown, lay down. If it's black, fight back, right? And one way we do so is by yelling at it in hopes that it's going to leave us alone, including if you're fucking, I'm assuming... <laughs> If you're really terrified for your life, vulgar, homophobic obscenities and your mama jokes, dog. Like, if you must, whatever it takes to get this fucking bear to leave you the fuck alone, right? So it's like, we don't change, dog. We don't change. The same idea, the same principle, right? 
And uh, what's interesting about this is that these weren't some random words, again, that just happened to take hold. But instead, these were like fucking sayings, common sayings that were developed by a professional class of diviners who were recognized as masters of the art of what is known as Nahuatoli, or what is the equivalent of the Nahuatl hermetic language of the sacred, right? So just like, it wasn't just some random ass words, okay? The point that I'm trying to get to. Anyways, there's still so much more about this fucking whole Nahuatl, Tecolote, Nahuatl, Tecolote, and all that kind of shit, that, the cryptid shit. There's still so much, so much more about it that needs to be fucking spoken about. Hopefully I can snap out of my funk and continue to bring these motherfuckers as soon as possible, but for now, I want to leave you just with a quick story that solidifies this idea of the fucking uh, uh, cryptid, the Nahuatl, and their, their views towards the Tlecolot and the Chiquali, right? Chiquali. Um, and it's a story that is told in various accounts about the Triple Alliance versus the Chalcos, okay? And basically what happens is there's a war that's going to happen, like the Triple Alliance, they were like going to war against the Chalcos, and uh, they had like very early success, but then they suffered a stunning defeat at the hands of the Chalcos. So now they're going back to the Chalcos to try to fucking, you know, conquer them basically because they were fucking colonizers and now I was, right? Don't get it twisted. And um, uh, it was like on the eve of like a very uh, decisive battle, okay? Where allegedly a fucking Tecolot uh, appeared or an, a, a, a Tecolot and a Chiquali appeared uh, and they were said to have had a conversation with one another, okay? Um, that's one account. The other account is it was just one fucking owl. It's unspec- unspecified which one. Right, but it's, one is from like a Spaniard, one's from an indigenous account, right? But they both ultimately, the only difference they have is that one says that they were it was two owls, the other says that it was only one owl. Everything else is basically the same, okay? But um, the words that the owl was said to say were tia, tia qua, tia qua, tetec, tetec, quetecpol, chichil, quetecpol, chichil, shalka, shalka, right? Which basically loosely translates to humiliated warriors, hearts cut out in sacrifice, right? Quote unquote, big faggots, throats reddened, captives gained, right? And uh, the whole premise of the story is that the message is pretty fucking clear, like what's gonna happen? Someone's gonna be humiliated, they're gonna have their hearts cut out in sacrifice, their throats are gonna be slit, and the captives are gonna be gained. The question is, what side? Is it going to be the Triple Alliance or is it going to be the Shalkov, okay? And this ultimately, this is like a, a, a literary device that, again, it emphasizes the role of the underlying belief that they could be swayed, okay? And uh, in this case, it's swayed in the favor of whatever army was most energized by this fucking particular omen, right? I imagine. And uh, as fate would happen, it turned out to be the Triple Alliance who, you know, they went on to defeat the Shalkov and made them a fucking tributary and, you know, the rest is history, right? And, um, yeah. I guess now seems about as good a time as any to go ahead and wrap this bitch up. A little Divinities of Death podcast. I hope you all enjoyed it. Um, And yeah, until next time, I hope you all have a great rest of your day. And I'll see you then. Peace.